AI is not something that all of us should be building. It's something all of us should be training. What we should be doing is figure out how to take our proprietary data sets and our unique application space and figure out the best way to take that data, feed them into those models and train them for a specific, in our case, vertical purpose. Welcome to the 5-Year Frontier podcast, a preview of the future through the eyes of the innovators shaping our world. Through short, insight-packed discussions, I seek to bring you a glimpse of what a key industry could look like five years out. I'm your host, Daniel Darling, a venture capitalist at Focal, where I spend my days with founders at the very start of their journey to transform an industry. The best have a distinct vision of what's to come, a guiding North Star they're building towards, and that's what I'm here to share with you. Today's episode is about the future of vertical software seen through the lens of the fitness and wellness industry. In it, we cover the evolution of software to ecosystems, predicting customer behavior, the rise of embedded finance, and the global appetite for fitness. Our guide will be Fritz Landman, CEO of MindBody, the leading software platform serving fitness and wellness studios in over 150 countries an incredible success case for vertical software that has grown to serve 60,000 plus businesses representing more than 20 million consumers. Supporting them with a comprehensive suite of tools from scheduling to marketing, MindBody went public on the NASDAQ in 2015 and was taken private by Vista Equity in 2019. Fritz came to MindBody by the acquisition of ClassPass, where he was first an investor, then turned CEO and still serves as CEO today. Starting his career at Microsoft, Fritz is a third-time entrepreneur, passionate about advanced software and data, and has an enviable angel investment track record that includes Pinterest, Square, Wish, and Flexport. Fritz, welcome. Good to see you. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. MindBody is successfully built for the fitness and wellness industry an operating system to run their business. And it powers scheduling, accounting, marketing, credit, et cetera. And as you continue to add in new products, Fritz, what is the end MindBody solution you're working towards? It's a great question. I like that you evoked this sort of operating system vision for the for the business. That was certainly the vision of the founder of MindBody, Rick, who uh, built this thing up. If you look at where we're at, I think the scope of software that the businesses that we serve are using has just grown and grown and grown, right? In the beginning, they just needed a way to take a payment from people. Then they wanted, okay, I actually need to manage my instructors at my yoga studio or my spin studio. So staff management became a a big part of it. Then it was, oh, I want my people to actually book, you know, unlike gyms, which kind of have an open uh, model where you pay a membership and just show up the kind of rise of studio fitness was like, hey, wait a minute, you actually need to schedule in and book a spot in a different class. And um, and so MindBody, that was really where we started was that kind of fundament, fundamental foundational, you know, booking, staff management, take payments, et cetera. And then we built on top uh, more and more different types of apps. So whether it's, hey, you want to have a branded mobile app in the app store with your own branding on it, we give you white labeled version of that or CRM, right? I need to be able to nurture my leads and do lead management or convert them over um, more and more at analytics kind of stuff. So, and we're, we, you know, have developed solutions in house that are kind of barely scratching the surface of, I think what's possible. I think really the stuff around how you grow your business is foundationally important to me. I don't want to just be a feature provider 
software vendor. I want to be a growth engine, a profit sort of center, not a cost center for our businesses. And so thinking about how do we help them acquire more customers or acquire more prospects, you know, generate more leads, nurture those into customers and then retain them, especially using AI and machine learning. That's kind of my priority is how do we help them make more money? And then how do we partner as effectively as possible with other third-party software vendors to give our customers a seamless experience? And you mentioned horizontal versus vertical software, and it seems that vertical software continues to surprise people by its size and scale that it can achieve. And I think MindBody is a great case of that in the fitness and wellness industry. What can that depth of penetration within an industry unlock for you versus a horizontal player? Every industry has unique needs, right? So I used to work at Microsoft for about a decade, and it's obviously one of the greatest companies in the history of tech. But it's really hard for Microsoft to serve all potential customer segments equally, right? Invariably, you're going to have to make trade-offs and you're going to build your features and allocate your kind of product and engineering calories towards the features that have the widest amount of appeal to one's potential customer audience. Even MindBody, which is focused on this vertical of wellness, we still have features that we rely on an app store ecosystem to build because a fraction of our businesses want them. I'll give you an example. We have you know, of our tens of thousands of customers, we had a few who wanted to give their members nighttime gym access, right? Like self-entry into that gym. That's not a feature that 90% of my customers have. And I'm a vertical SaaS player. And so I just am never going to be able to build that feature because I just can't prioritize it relative to all the other features that my customers, the majority of my customers want. And so that's an example where we said, hey, some developer can go write an app on top of my body and sell it to our customers, the ones that actually want that that feature. So I think it really comes down to sort of the intimacy with the customer, with their unique needs and problems and software design decisions, right? Both in how you architect and how you design from an user experience standpoint, the flows that you can always do better by focusing on a vertical than you can trying to serve everyone evenly. And certainly that's what we've seen. And it must unlock some incredible network effects and density of networks and data feedback loops in and amongst that. What have you seen happen within MindBody as you start to get a bit of density of users and and a huge unlock in terms of the data that's derived from them? I think in general, software as an industry tends to have network effects. And I think that's only going to become more true with AI playing a bigger role in what we do. And, And AI is not something that all of us should be building it's something all of us should be training. What I mean by that is like my engineers and I aren't inventing new math, right? New fundamental models. We should be using the stuff that Google and OpenAI and the people who have billions of dollars of R&D focus on just those problems are building and figuring out. And then what we should be doing is figure out how to take our proprietary data sets and our unique application space and figure out the best way to take that data, feed them into those models and train them for a specific, in our case, vertical purpose. I think really we have three. There's like soft network effects, like the more customers you get, the more you learn, the more signal you have in what features to go build next and how. The most sort of clear or crisp scale advantages that MindBody has, for example, one is this fact that we have more data than anybody else in the world about this industry, right? We have more visibility to more businesses and more visibility to more consumers than anybody else in the fitness and wellness industry. And so I can do something like predict which of your hundred gym members are going to churn 
better than Google can because Google doesn't have the data, hasn't seen as many of the consumer behavior patterns that happen leading up to a churn event, right? So we get better because the bigger we get, the more proprietary data we have to feed into those models and figure out how to make those models uh, do something really useful for the business, like churn prediction. We call that clients at risk. It's a new feature we have. We have another one coming, which predicts in your funnel of prospects who are going to become the biggest spenders. Because in most industries, there's a concentration of revenue among some customers, right? In our industry, it turns out 11% of consumers generate over half of a gym's or studios or salons business on average, which is pretty wild. It's not quite as concentrated as like gambling. You know, it's like 5% generate 90%. It's still concentrated. So if we can tell them these are the people to go bear hug, buy their kids a, a birthday present kind of thing, like develop that relationship, it's really translating into benefits. So one is around the data and how we can translate that into sort of machine learning powered insights or, or features for our businesses. The second is MindBody has tremendous consumer distribution. So we have an app in the App Store, the MindBody app. It has more wellness shoppers in it than any other app in, in the App Store, right? There's millions of people in this app buying fitness, buying hair appointments and beauty treatments. So the only way to get in front of an audience of that size outside of the MindBody app would be to go pay Google or Facebook or Instagram a bunch of ad dollars. And that has no guaranteed return on investment. So we give our businesses sort of free exposure to that consumer audience and those consumers come to us because we've got so many businesses in there. So the more businesses we get, the more consumers want to download the MindBody app and use it to, to find or book a new place. Uh, the more consumers we get, the more consumer distribution we can offer to a merchant business. And then third is, is around a developer ecosystem. And this is a playbook that now, as of today, you're seeing OpenAI is rolling out their app store strategy, right? First proven by Microsoft, then Apple, obviously, and, and, and Google to some extent. And, and now you're seeing it with AI and, and open AI. But I think there's a lot of other businesses like Salesforce who's built an amazing developer ecosystem. MindBody has that. You know, we've got tons of apps that developers have come in to build, to augment, to plug feature gaps that we aren't doing or just do something that we have maybe like an entry level version. They want to build an industrial quality version with more features. So that's really another one because you can't get developers to come build in your ecosystem unless you have distribution for them, right? Lots of businesses. So once you have a lot of businesses, you can get developers. Those developers make that ecosystem makes your platform more compelling because you can address more of their needs, which gets you more businesses, which gets you more developers. So those are the three kind of network effects that, that we see in our business. Have you seen that play out in other industries in terms of is there now emerging a bit of a vertical SaaS playbook around how they're going to capture these network effects, these data loops, and these communities that's happening out in other industries? Some of the themes you'll see are consistent between a mind body and a Procore and a Toast in terms of a lot of businesses, when they achieve scale, launch an app store. Or everybody should be figuring out how to harness proprietary data sets to translate those into machine learning powered features that can help their customers and help differentiate them. But I think the underlying needs in each industry and then the market structures are different. The market structure matters a lot, like how fragmented, how sophisticated is the customer base. Those things, I think, also have a huge amount of influence on what parts of a playbook are going to work or how do you need to adapt your playbook to a different vertical. Machine learning and AI is a big component of your future roadmap. And you mentioned your access to data. You mentioned your keenness to build out the developer ecosystem. 
what are the exciting things on your radar and roadmap for the next couple of years? I think we're in this like golden era where you're going to be able to use things like LLMs to drive down your customer service costs, to automate a lot of creative generation for marketing teams, to automate and supplement and augment sales outreach and outbounding and SDR type work. So, you know, just operations in general, I think you're going to see this massive margin expansion from enterprise software businesses or software businesses in general that figure out how to use these tools to make each of their personnel like 10 times more efficient, right? Because there's still a lot of of relatively mundane or inefficient tasks being done by human labor that just should not be. In the next five years, you're going to find a lot of opportunities to use AI in two areas, gross margin expansion, i.e. operational efficiency, and how to make your features better, how to serve your customers better. And that's the one that I don't see happening quite as much. Like everyone's talking about the cost savings measures, CX automation and augmentation. I don't think as many people have figured out how to use machine learning to make their products better. That's why I'm obsessed about this stuff. Like what can we do that no one else can do? Predict which of your clients is going to churn, right? Or we have so much industry parlance and fitness, we can train a chatbot perhaps built on the GPT-4 stuff so that you can have a chatbot for every one of our customers, which we have already, or big spender predictions or competitive benchmarking. Hey, is my yoga studio performing as well as it should be given this zip code that I'm in, given what you're seeing nationally, mind body, like we can answer those questions in a way that no one does. So I think we're in this kind of golden era where we can use machine learning, maybe AI to serve a hell of a lot more customers, a hell of a lot better and drive cost efficiency. And that'll just keep going until you hit this like singularity or whatever you want to call it. And at that point, everything changes in computing and the industry. One of the areas that I thought was really fascinating that you launched was around finance and sort of understanding the financial health of your customers and offering lines of credit, et cetera, which has been a big sort of growth area for vertical SaaS businesses. Can you speak a bit to that? Fintech is an area that I think is fascinating. It's very unlikely that you'll see a vertical software player be able to solve all of a customer's financial needs, right? Payroll and tax and accounting, lending or cash advances, capital raising. But it makes a ton of sense for every vertical SaaS player to partner with third parties who do that stuff insanely well and make it seamless for your customer to have their data shared and vended and synchronized between all of those different places. I think there's a lot of opportunity vertical SaaS to have really tight integration with fintech across these different application areas. We did our first foray was Mind Body Capital, which is we partnered with a third party who is underwriting and looking at business performance of our customers and saying, yeah, I'd give them a cash advance. And there's no loan application. It's not no credit check. It's not it's not a loan. It's just a, it's an advance based on, yeah, this business is performing super well. They can click a button and take a pre-approved amount or less. And then the ACH happens, money's in the bank, business can do what they want. And then the payback happens automatically up to a fixed percentage of revenue each month. So it's pretty cool. You know, it just takes all the labor and all the burden and all the headache out of trying to access capital to grow, grow your business and reinvest in it. So elegant and, and, you know, really reinforces the value proposition of, of what you guys bring to the table. Probably not something that would have immediately been apparent, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when Vertical SaaS was really 
getting started, but has now become a core component. Are there other areas that you start to see on the horizon that people are playing around with, whether it's new business models or new product opportunities that could be complementary to the customers that Vertical SaaS serves? You can just kind of say, okay, who is my customer? And what are they spending software on, right? Like, what is my share of wallet and what else are they spending money on? And how can I make those easier? Some maybe I should build, others maybe I should partner, others for whatever reason maybe you don't go near. I think every vertical SaaS company is doing that in their five-year long-range plan strategizing session. Nobody wants to have 10 different vendors. Like, that's just a pain. It's like easier to have one vendor or a few as long as they're doing a great job of serving you. And so... I think, you know, vertical SaaS is like this classic wedge strategy, like get in there, you become like a really important and critical vendor and part of this, the customer's business. And then, and then you can earn the right to try to capture more of their share of, of wallet flowing through you. In our industry, an interesting one has been digital workouts. It's like a completely different space. The pandemic kind of forced everybody to like scramble and go, okay, well, we can't host people at a studio or a spa or a salon. It's also hard to give like a facial like over the internet, right? In video, <laughs> so you can't really do that. But you can give a workout and ClassPass and MindBody both launched digital offerings and uh, really good quality products. We just have found that's been a tougher business. Like consumers don't really want to pay for digital workouts as much. That if they do, it's to like an influencer or a connected fitness brand, not just doing yoga in my living room at home over a glorified version of Zoom. So that was an example where I think the market, the kind of consumer behavior, willingness to pay patterns just were different. And we haven't seen that develop for us into a big opportunity. That's fascinating. You also mentioned that fitness influencer, which is obviously a a massive part of the industry. Now, as they become increasingly their own businesses, these individuals, everything from their own products to running their virtual studios, all different kinds of things. Is MindBody and ClassPass looking at that as a potential area to serve them and their unique needs as, as a future growth path? For sure. Like MindBody, I don't think cares if you are a brick and mortar brand or an influencer brand. The influencers, though, are tending to make their money off of digital workouts. They build a big following on a social platform and some of them do it as a fitness influencer. Others are from a different protocol, a celebrity or whatever, and they come in. They have an audience and they add fitness monetization to it. So we'd be happy to work with anybody. I think though our focus is more about brick and mortar experiences. And we just believe that that's the best way to work out. These fitness experiences, you don't work out as hard. You don't enjoy it as much. So you're not going to stick with it as much. You don't go as frequently as you do when you're on your own. If you're one of the 90% who struggle with fitness motivation, right? Like fitness is an interesting business because it's like even down to the minute you have to get off the couch and go, you're like having to sell yourself on doing it, right? It's not like going to a movie or a concert or a sports event where you're like, I just can't wait to have this experience. Fitness is like it's a workout, right? It's like it's work. We believe that, you know, these in-person experiences is where we can provide the world's best software and for digital experiences, we'll let others, you know, focus on that. I think VR is super cool and going to have a lot of different applications, but yeah, I'm skeptical on it for fitness. For fitness, I I think you're really just seeing the world bifurcate or trifurcate into you have influencers who have big followings and are selling a lifestyle. And that's something that the fitness industry did, right? Jazzercise is still a pretty big and popular company. They did that in the 80s really well. And now you're seeing influencers kind of copy that playbook, monetizing the brand and the lifestyle that they're pushing You have the connected fitness, which is really the kind of premium experience for a digital. And then you've got people who are just doing free workouts on YouTube. 
right? Or elsewhere from the internet. And it's hard to make money in that space because there's just so much free content. I don't see that changing. I think that's kind of how the world's going to be. And in the same way, real world fitness or brick and mortar, it's like you can just, there's people who just like to go run and there's people who will go work out at a park for free, right? There's other of us who need to be yelled at by a by an instructor and have a little bit of a friendly competition with other class comrades to, to, to do well. And I'm certainly one of them. Looking at what you've built, you are a global company, over 150 countries from what I've seen, which is an incredible achievement. Are there countries on a steeper adoption curve than the US or ones that are approaching the industry entirely differently? Yeah, it's a super interesting question. The good news is I think health and wellness is becoming more of a priority pretty much globally. Certainly, we're, you know, we're mostly in the quote unquote developed world. One thing that's changed is you used to see a lot of the innovation in fitness coming out of America. And now I think that's still true to some extent, especially when it comes to more like software enabled experiences or the quantified self stuff, and a lot of the connected fitness companies. But when it comes to just group fitness formats, you're seeing a ton come from Southeast Asia, from Australia, some from Europe as well, UK. And that's been pretty cool to see because I lived in the UK 20 years ago and I feel like there were gyms, but there wasn't really much studio fitness. You know, Soul Cycle sort of and, and yoga really created this movement in America and it's grown a double digit CAGR for well, till the pandemic for 20 years. And, and it's really become a global phenomenon. You, you do see some different patterns, like certain countries like gyms more. I think like China couldn't be more different culturally than than the US in, in some ways. And studio fitness is burgeoning there. And so I, I'm kind of starting to wonder if you don't end up in the steady state with sort of an equal distribution of big box gyms, fitness studios, digital penetration and adoption. And maybe it's because we're all human and have the same kind of needs and, and desires for variety. It's physiologically better for you. It's psychologically more interesting. So I think what you end up having is just different phases of maturity in different countries right now. We're seeing formats that were invented in Sydney work in Missoula, Montana, or Singapore, or Beijing, or Shanghai, and vice versa. There doesn't seem to be anything overly cultural that's dictating. They're determining these things. When Cutter in the Middle East has the same studios as, or even nicer studios in many cases, than Western Europe. So it's been pretty cool to see. And is that something you can distill down in your unique position as you enter into other markets and start to provide guidance to sort of less developed fitness markets? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We run an analysis actually on hidden gems, businesses or formats that you haven't heard about yet that are on the rise. You know, a few years ago, I did a trampoline fitness class, which <laughs> was super fun and kind of blew my mind. That one hasn't quite taken off globally yet. It's like startups, like people are just constantly running experiments, right? These entrepreneurs have a really cool idea. They go, they test it, and they're either meeting some demand that's there, expressed or latent, or they don't. Yeah, as of yet, like I said, I just, if I've not seen sort of any cultural reason why you see differences. It's mostly about phases of maturity. Like studio fitness in, in Southeast Asia and Singapore is in many ways more mature than a lot of American cities. Awesome, Fritz. Well, look, thanks so much for your insights today. You sit in an incredible position within the industry and such depth of understanding of it. So I really appreciate you sharing your vision for where it's going. My pleasure. Thanks. What an inspiring chat with Fritz, who sits not only at the frontier of the fitness industry, but also demonstrates the depth of value unlocked by vertical software companies. It's refreshing to hear Fritz talk about focusing his resources on leveraging AI rather than replicating it, and really leaning on MindBody's unique distribution, data pool, developer ecosystem, and deep customer understanding. 
Rolling out predictive insights and unlocking working capital for MindBody users shows the high impact such embedded software can have on a customer's business. And that is a very hard thing for a competitor to replicate. To follow MindBody and Fritz's mission, head over to his Twitter profile, at Fritzanity, that's F-R-I-T-Z-A-N-I-T-Y. If you're launching a vertical software startup, reach out to us. We'd love to hear about it. You can email me on danieldarling at focal.vc. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please subscribe to the podcast to listen to more coming down the pipe. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.